Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. So open your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 15. I made a disclaimer this morning at First Baptist, and I want to make the same disclaimer to you now, that uh, my emotions are very, very, very raw right now, still processing the events of the week, and I know that there are many in this room who, were, who are in that same position, and so let's just say, uh, if you start crying, I'm not going to be able to preach, so don't do that. <laughs> I'm joking about that, honestly. Um, I know, boo. The truth is, uh, if, we can't, if we can't express our, our sorrows and our joys with the people of God who are brothers and sisters in Christ, if we can't be raw with each other, then there's no place in the world we can be. And so, I want to say that in the beginning because, because the message today is not an accident. Let me tell you the story about how this came about. So, I was asked several months ago to preach for baccalaureate this coming Thursday, so four days from now. And uh, as I was processing and praying, Lord, what do you want me to say? Because, you know, it, it's, it's, there's, this, there's this thought of you want to make them laugh and you want to you give them some good advice and you want to make sure they have what they need to succeed in life. And so you, know, you get 20 minutes at the most and, uh, and, you, and you're wondering, okay, what do I say? And the Lord very clearly impressed upon my heart that what these graduating seniors needed was not advice on how to live as much as advice on how to die. Die to themselves so that Jesus Christ could live in them and through them. And so the prodigal son was the story that, that God gave me. And so I've been reading through the, the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 for several weeks now, just trying to absorb it and see, what God, what are you saying, and how do I, how do I make this into a 20-minute baccalaureate message? And around the first of the week, maybe, maybe Monday or so, um, as I was thinking about what to preach today, the Lord said, I want you to preach the prodigal son. Now, this is we, I'm the only preacher that does this, maybe, but I don't, I don't like to do that. I, don't, I feel like it's cheating that you preach two sermons in the same week, the same sermon. I feel like everything should get their own thing, right? And so I really wrestle with that. I'm like, Lord, but I can't, I can't preach on Sunday morning what I'm going to preach on Thursday. What if somebody's there twice? I mean, I know that's dumb, but that's just the way I was thinking. And so uh, he said, no, that's what you need to preach. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And then Thursday... Um, on Thursday, I had a, a just just an absolute I hit a wall at about three o'clock, and and I don't do this a lot, but at three o'clock I hit a wall mentally, physically, in every possible way, and so I I was in meetings that morning. I went back to the house and I said I'm going to take a nap for about an hour because I got a I got a I got to rest. I don't know what's going on here. So I laid down in my bed, and while I was asleep, my phone started blowing up. You know, it always happens that way, doesn't it? And when I got up and I looked at all the messages, it was all of you saying, hey, do you know what's going on? It was a call from Jennifer. Hey, I need you to, I need you to answer your phone. 
Kevin and Jennifer Grant, you know them. They're dear, dear friends of our family. We, we've known them for, gosh, 15 years. Uh, their son overdosed. If you know the story, Mitch had been clean for a year plus, doing so, so good. He had been walking with Jesus. He had been doing so well. He had gotten into the waterfront mission. He, was, he, was, uh, he had a steady job. He was just doing so, so good. But somewhere around a month ago or two, we all started to see him slip off. And every single person involved in this was doing everything that we could to gain him back, to reel him back in. It's kind of like standing in a distance and watching somebody walk, walk towards a cliff and you're yelling at the top of your lungs and you know that they hear you, but it's almost like they can't stop walking. And this call was that he had taken something and nobody was there and so he was without oxygen for a period of time and he was now at Sacred Heart on a ventilator. Immediately, the church sprung into action. I, I just want to say right now, thank you, Jesus, for the grace and the kindness of the fifth floor of MICU at Sacred Heart. <sighs> if we could write a book about what they did and what they allowed, amazing. They saw the grief and they saw the need for us to be there. And they were incredible. But as people started flooding in, as people started praying, a prayer chain went out literally all over the world. Hundreds of people were praying, begging God. And it was one of those weird things where you knew Jesus could, but you weren't sure if it was his will that he would heal him. So the only thing we could pray was, Jesus, we're going to pray like you prayed in the garden. If it's your will, take this cup from me. We do not want to deal with this. We know you can. You've done it before. It's nothing. It's simply a word from you, and you are totally able to bring him back to life, and yet not my will, but yours be done. And over three grueling days. We saw miracle after miracle after miracle. You're going to hear about those later when we have a chance to rest. But I just want to say, what God gave us in that moment was Luke chapter 15 lived out in the flesh, unlike maybe what I've ever seen before in my entire life. Because Luke chapter 15 is all about a father's love for his son. It's all about how much God loves us in spite of us. Regardless of our performance, regardless of our past, regardless of how good or how bad we act or think. It's this inexpressible, only God can do it kind of love. It's truly the epitome of agape love. But in that room, it was as if I was seeing this sermon in front of me. 
because I saw the grief of two parents whose love for their son was so evident. You have not, you have not seen grief until you've heard the wails of a mother for her son. You have not felt pain until you have listened to a father beg God to breathe life into a son. I don't think there's anything in life that can compare to that. I don't mean to downplay or, or, or disregard any other sort of pain, but even with the spouse, you had to learn to love your spouse. You don't have to learn to love your child. Your child is your blood. And what we saw was a human form as, as deep as a human can possibly love someone. And God saying, if a human can love that much, imagine how much me as an infinite God can love. And the message today is this. You are one of these two sons in the scripture. You are either the son who knows how desperately in need of a savior you are, or you're the son who thinks that you have earned God's love and you've, you've, you, you, you are worthy of his name, which really ultimately means that you're the son that's, too far, that's farther away than the other, if that makes sense. Let's get into the story. I think you'll agree with me that Jesus is a master storyteller. There's no one who can, who can command a crowd from that day until now like Jesus. And I think you'll have to agree with me that when Jesus tells a story, he doesn't just uh, use flippant details. Every single word matters. Every single part of the story matters because, because it's his story and he's saying, I, wanna, I want you to fully feel and see and grasp what I'm trying to tell you because the words I'm telling you are eternal. See, when we tell stories, they're usually temporary stories. God is telling eternal stories. He is saying, I want to describe to you the indescribable and I'm going to do it through this story. This is perhaps the most famous the most spoken, the most moving story in all of the scripture. And, and, and we only have one single recollection of it in Luke 15. It's not in the other gospels. So it's this one shot. And the Bible says, verse 11, Jesus continued. Meaning he was telling other stories. This was one story that was tied into some other stories. Now his audience would have been the Pharisees, but also the disciples and then some other in the crowd that were there. And the first two stories that he was telling were dealing with the lost coin and the lost sheep. So he talks about someone who loses a coin and then he talks about someone who loses a sheep. Now listen, as you, as you think about the progression of these stories, what you can see is he's starting with something temporary. Now we, we love our sheep, right? I mean, we don't love our sheep because none of us have sheep, but we love our dog. Let's say it that way, right? We, 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 we love, but, but, but a sheep is a sheep, right? And, and then we, we talk about the coin. Coin is your substance. If you didn't have a coin, then you couldn't eat. And so Jesus is starting with important stuff, but not the most important stuff. But then he says, look, the man lost his sheep. The man lost his, his coin. They celebrated when they found it. But then there was a man who had two sons. Oh. Now you're getting personal. 
Because everybody that has a child knows this, knows where we're going on this one. He said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. That is a very abrupt beginning to a story. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger son said, You are dead to me, father. Give me my share of the estate that I'm supposed to inherit when you're dead. See, what was going on here was this son, for some reason or another, was rejecting his father. He was rejecting everything good in his life. We don't know what was going on with him, but we knew that that he was saying to his father, you are dead to me. How do we know that? Because in those days, the most and still today in Eastern culture, the most important part of, a, of, of the culture, of the society, is honor. We are Western. We deal with justice predominantly. In the East, they deal with honor. The one thing you do not do is dishonor your family. If you bring shame to your family, you have committed the ultimate of sins in the culture. And so when the hearers are listening to Jesus' story begin by, there was a younger son who said, give me my share of my inheritance, they would have gasped. Because you don't do that. And yet the Bible says that in Jesus' story, he said, and so the father divided it among them. Now, he didn't actually gather up the possessions and say, okay, this one's for you, this one's for you. No, he couldn't give the possessions while he was alive, but it was the right to the possessions. It was essentially a contract saying, I am signing over the title or the deed. I'm giving, you now have ownership. Your name is now on this property. So that it is as good as me being dead. Once I'm gone, you can collect. But having the title or, the own, or, or having the, the, the written authority to have it was even worse. Because what he did with that was he went into town and he sold that right. Now what happens when you have a fire sale of property? What happens when you say to somebody, look, I'm going to be getting something later, but I need the cash now, so can you buy a future stake in this property? You always get less. So the father is watching his own son not only bring shame by saying to him, I reject you completely, I want nothing to do with you, I want what is mine, But the father also has to deal with the shame of him going into town, selling this promise. So it's not a secret. Everybody would know. And the thing is, he didn't do it quietly and he didn't do it over a period of time. He did it out loud quickly. Because the Bible says in the very next verse, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. So in other words, he went out and he sold for pennies on the dollar the rights to his property. And then he took the few clothes that he had and he left for a distant country. Now remember, everything matters. In this story, what Jesus is trying to tell us is this. He's trying to say this kid wanted totally out of their life. So he hit the road. 
Now we would say it was just sowing wild oats. It was way more than sowing wild oats. In his mind, there's no doubt that he was gone, never to return again, with no intention of returning again. And at this point, the listeners, their jaws would have been dropped. They would have been mortified at the thought of a son treating his father in such a disrespectful, dishonoring way. And the Bible says that he squandered his wealth in wild living. And what Jesus was trying to portray was this young man was pursuing physical pleasure at the expense of every real relationship he had. That's not unlike what we see today, is it? There are things that we see today that we, we just, we, we don't understand because we, we think, how in the world could you do this? And I have to tell you, I don't understand it. You may not understand it. But human beings have such deep-rooted brokenness inside of us that sometimes the way we deal with that is we run away from the very people that love us the most. The very next picture, we have this young man, verse 14, that after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. It's, a, it's, it's this young man who opens up his, or who pulls out his pockets and they're empty, and on top of him having no money, there's really not many jobs, and there's famine, and he's desperate, and he's hungry. Since he has no money, he can't pay rent, so he's now living wherever he can find shelter, which is probably not a very nice place to live. Essentially, he's homeless. He's now a beggar. But see, the problem is, he left his people. He is a Jew in a foreign country, and so he is despised, and he has nobody to help him. In fact, the scripture as much tells us this. The Bible says that he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. This was an ultimate act of, of disrespect to this young man. Because Jews were not allowed to interact with pigs. They could not own them. They could not eat them. It was part of the, 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 the law that was handed down to them by God. And so for, them to, for him to go and feed pigs was literally saying, I am lower than low. There is a spiritual element of this too. For him to feed pigs, to interact with pigs, meant that he was unclean, unholy, unworthy, unable to come before God. In his sin. I mean Jesus is not holding anything back in this. He was destitute. And the man gave him the job. According, you know, When you look at the Greek. It's this idea that the man wasn't feeling sorry for him. Giving him a job. He was more spiting him by giving him this job. He was more saying, oh, you want a job? Let me show you what a sorry man you are. You can feed my pigs. It's like you saying to someone, you are disgusting, so I'm going to let you clean my toilets. I'm going to let you work in my sewer. You want a job? That's what you can do. It was very, very spiteful. And he finds himself out in the field beginning to long for the food that the pigs are eating. He's just getting lower and lower and lower. 
And he wants the food so bad, yet the Bible says nobody would help him. The last part of verse 16, but no one gave him anything. And then verse 16, when he came to his senses, he smelt himself basically. You ever done that? Dangerous thing. You ever work so hard and because you're outside, you don't really realize it. And then you, then you go to a place, you're like, man, something stinks. Ooh, that's me. You ever done that? I've, I'll be honest, I've done that, right? When he came to his senses means he opened his eyes and he saw the condition of what he was in and he came up with a plan. His plan was a good plan. He said, I know what I'll do. I will go to my father and I will say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned and I am not worthy of being called your son. So if you will allow me to be a hired slave, I will work for you and I will not expect to be treated as a son. But Father, I'm hungry and I'm cold and I'm friendless and I'm desperate. Now I have to think that he must have known his father to be able to think that way. He must have known that his father would accept him. But he also had to admit his own sin. You want to know the biggest reason you don't come to Jesus? Or the biggest reason I don't come to Jesus when I need him? It's pride. We don't want to admit who we really are. We don't want to say, I have sinned. We don't want to acknowledge that we had it way better on the other side. And we stupidly left what was good. And we now find ourselves in the middle of a a wasteland. We don't want to say that. We don't want to admit that because by doing that, we would have to say, I'm wrong. I like to say it this way of myself. I'm an idiot. That's my repentance usually. Uh, Lord, I'm an idiot. I just, that that to me is. But see, the story's about to turn because up to this point, the Pharisees listening are going, yeah, what an embarrassment. What What a waste of a son. What a horrible... And Jesus starts to turn the story that when this young man starts to go back home, the father's heart is revealed. The Bible says in verse 20 that the young man got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The Pharisees would have been mortified at this. Why? Because it's about shame. The young son brought shame to the father. What should have happened was the father, when he saw his shameful son, the father should have turned around, walked into the house, shut the door. And allowed the son to beg and plead. Father, open up. Son, no. Get off my property. You've already made your intentions clear. You've already told me what you think about me. You made your bed. You lie in it. See, that's what should have happened. But that's not what Jesus said happened. 
Remember, Jesus is painting this picture to describe to us the love of the Father. First off, he said that when he saw his son in a distance, while he was still a long way off, that means that the Father every day was scanning the horizon. That means the Father was hopelessly waiting or, or hopefully waiting for his son's silhouette to appear on the horizon. This would not have been nighttime, this would have been daytime. Because they would have had time to kill the fat and calf and all that stuff. So it, it's almost like he got, gets up every morning with his coffee and he stands on the porch. And he just hopes and waits and prays looking. Is today the day that my son will come home? And the Bible says that when he saw him off, at the, off the, at, in the horizon, he did not wait for the son to come. He did the unexplainable. He did the embarrassing thing for a man of his position. He took off running. Oh, the love of the Father that he would run after us. The moment you turn around, you don't have to wait for, to get to God because God is running towards you. He is running embarrassingly. He's full out on a sprint towards you. And when he gets to you, he doesn't start to wag his finger and say, how dare you come back? Who do you think you are? Do you know what you did? No, he reaches out and he grabs his son and he begins to kiss him. It's, a, it, it, it's this picture of not just one single kiss, but a just, he's embracing him so hard that I think the son probably says, Dad, I can't breathe. He's loving his son with such physical emotion and he's doing it in front of everybody. So the whole town is watching this father embarrass himself in shame, loving his son. Why? Because the opinions of the crowd don't matter when it comes to a father and a son. And then he takes it one step further. The Bible says that he tells his servants, go get my robe and get my ring. Oh, oh, and don't forget the sandals. Jesus is saying by mentioning those three things, my son will not be a servant. My son will always be my son. He was saying, put the robe on him. Because even though he is dirty and filthy and stinking and rotting, he is clean and he is forgiven. Put the ring on his finger. Because that's my ring and it bears my name. Put shoes on his feet because servants didn't wear shoes. Sons did. He was saying to everybody who was watching, this is how much I love my son. Oh, and I forgot to mention that the scripture records that the son begins to give his well-rehearsed speech. And he starts off, Father, I have sinned. And shortly into his speech, his father interrupts him. He doesn't even let him finish. In the original language of the text, that's what we get out of that. He doesn't even let him finish. He goes, shh, none of that. You will not be my servant. You're my son, and I love you. Yes, but father, don't. I love you. Yeah, but you remember, I love you. Yeah, but what if I love you, period? And nothing can change that. At this time, the Pharisees, they're probably angry because they're probably thinking, 
Who does this storyteller think he is? He's getting the story totally wrong. Doesn't he know how embarrassing and how dishonoring this story is? And then Jesus takes it one step further. He says, And my older son, or the older son, was off in the fields, and as he drew near to the house, he heard singing and dancing. Oh, I forgot to mention, the fatted calf was not a sacrificial calf. It was being fed solely for the purpose of celebrating something worth celebrating. In other words, they were feeding this thing so they could have a party. And when he said, go get the fatted calf and kill it, he was saying, we're going to have the biggest luau you've ever seen in your entire life. Probably not a luau, just because usually that's a pig. You know, that's what kind of be. We're going to have the biggest barbecue ever. Which means all the neighbors are going to come. And his reasoning, my son was dead. My son is now alive. We're going to celebrate. We're not going to rehash the sins. Because all is forgiven. And then as he twitches to the, younger, the older son, he says, the younger son hears the noise when he gets close to the house, and so he sends a servant to come back and say to him, what's going on? And the servant says, haven't you heard? Good news, your younger brother is alive. He's come home. Your father killed the fatted calf so we can all celebrate. Isn't this great? But in that moment, the older son's heart was, was seething with anger. In fact, the, wor- the wording used is that he went into a rage. He was not just angry. He was in a rage of anger. The kind where you throw things and kick things and bust things. The kind where people who were smart just kind of leave the room. Right? He was in a rage and his father came out to him. Verse 26, or excuse me, verse um, 28. The older brother became so angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, do you hear the, 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 the spite in his voice? But when this young son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. The truth of the matter is, The older son was far away than the younger son. The older son understood less about the love of the father than the younger son. Because the older son felt like he deserved everything. The younger son didn't have any contrition. He didn't have any brokenness. The younger son thought he was doing everything right. And I would even say, as I read this, I just can't help but believe that He thought that he had done enough to earn his father's favor, which means he did not understand grace at all. And the Pharisees certainly fit that category, didn't they? See, as the Pharisees were listening, they were were wiping their, their, their selves off saying, yes, we've never done that. We've never had that kind of thought. We've never been that kind of lost. 
Jesus tells another story of a, of, a, of a man who comes in and falls down before God and beats his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Pharisee who's there praying all day says, Lord, thank you that you've not made me like one of these sinners. The idea being, Lord, thank you that I'm clean and that you have the opportunity for me to be in your presence. It was pride and it was arrogance. And Jesus said that the father's response was, My son, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. What was lost is now found. And then the story ends. Now here's the thing. It's like you're listening, you're going... That's it? Okay, finish the story. But see, that's not, the, that's not the, that Jesus just left us hanging. See, when you look at the text and when you look at the, the way stories are written and the way stories are told, they're, they're, it, it's like a poem. There's this, there's this flow to them. You start here, you go here, and then you tie it all up. And you start here and you go here. So it's the, the problem, it's the solution, it's the resolution. Here... We have the problem, the solution, the resolution for the young kid, right? The young boy didn't want to stay. He left. He squandered the wealth. He came back. The father forgive, forgave. They were in a right relationship. The older son, he was not happy. He felt like he was being mistreated. So he left. He was already gone. And the father came out and said, this is what we can do. But we never know what the younger son did. We're just left hanging. Why? Because Jesus was masterfully saying to the listeners, the ball is now in your court. The story is not over. He was saying to the Pharisees, you are the older brother. And you don't understand my love because you don't think that you're a sinner. But when you realize you are, the father is waiting with open arms. Come in. And he's saying to you and to me the same thing. All of us are one of these two sons. We're either the one who recognizes our deep need for the saving grace of God. Or we think we're all right. We've not done those things that they've done. We're pretty good and the pride in our own heart keeps us from truly experiencing the love that God has for us. Or, as the older son, you don't understand the love of God because you think you still have to earn it or deserve it. And see, that's not the love of a father. The love of a father is I'm going to love you no matter what you do. No matter what you say, no matter where you go, no matter what you smoke, no matter what you, you, you drink, no matter what you, I'm going to love you because you're my son. I wonder in this place today, how many of you are, are still unclear of the love that God has for you? I mean, we say it all the time, God loves you, God loves you. But it's different than just knowing God loves you here and knowing God loves you here. 
You know what I mean? You know, I'm looking at your faces and I so desperately, matter of fact, we're going to do it. But I, I, want, I want to give you a chance to briefly share about your understanding of God's love in you. Before we do that, though, simply for the sake of the camera, I want to invite you, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, I want to invite you to give your life to Him. If you recognize that you need a Savior, if you're tired of running from Him, if you find yourself in a distant land, or if you find yourself in the church house, but still far, far away, I want to invite you to receive the grace of God that He so freely offers you. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works, so that none of us can boast. None of us can stand before God and say, God, yep, I earned this. Because we didn't earn it. We you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? Will you invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life? Will you simply say to him, Jesus, I need you. I need you. My life is a mess. I may have everything looking good on the outside, but my life is a mess. Jesus, I don't even think I understand how much you love me, but I want to. I'm asking you this morning to give your life to Jesus. Certainly in a crowd this big, there is somebody here who needs to let go and allow Jesus Christ to save you. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. If you need Jesus, come and say to me, Jeff, I need Jesus. You can also pray right where you are, but just don't delay. Will you stand with me? Father in heaven, I pray that today you would help us to see and to know how deep and how wide that we're able to grasp your love and your goodness. We ask this in Jesus' name.